Welcome to Cool Breeze Over the Mountains, a podcast where we chronologically step through and discuss each film starring Keanu Reeves. My name is Andrew Gormley, and I am one of your hosts. I am joined on this episode by my co-hosts. She likes the walkways and how the lights fall, but she needs to know the materials. Whitney Nelson. That's me. Hello. (laughs) And her favorite architect is also Frank Lloyd whatever. Asia Romano. Absolutely. Nice to be back. Yes, welcome back, as always. Uh, Lovely to have you. I'm excited to talk about this one because on your inaugural episode with us for The Watcher, you had listed this as your third favorite, again, with the caveat that it can change from week to week, but your third favorite Keanu Reeves film. So very excited to deep dive with with you on this one. Me too. Up top, uh, I want to mention, you can find our website at coolbreezepod.com. Email us coolbreezepod at gmail.com, as some folks have did. You'll find out later in the episode. Or hit us up on Twitter at coolbreezepod. If you like what we, what we do and you want to support it directly, you can join our Patreon in exchange for absolutely zero rewards or anything like that. Patreon.com slash coolbreezepod. Uh, if you don't want to throw any bucks our way, I literally just retweeted how to review us in the podcasts app on your computer and your phone. It's super easy. I was making it out to be a much larger deal than it was. Check that out. Do it. You could be our first review of 2020. So beyond like a star, like a first written review of 2020. So with all that stuff out of the way, housekeeping's done. Today, we are talking about the film The Lake House. And the plot synopsis from IMDb is as follows. A lonely doctor who once occupied an unusual lakeside house begins exchanging love letters with its former resident, a frustrated architect. They must try to unravel the mystery behind their extraordinary romance before it's too late. Which, before I even watched this, I was like, this sounds ominous. And yeah, uh, yeah, it, it is a little bit. So <laughs> it was directed by Alejandro Agresti and... He is an Argentinian writer-director who's also done some films uh, like Wind with the Gone. That's not a mistake, right? Uh, A Night with Sabrina Love, A Less Bad World, and most recently, Surviving the 70s. Rounding out the cast of this film is Sandra Bullock, Dylan Walsh, Christopher Plummer, Eben Moss Bachrock, I think, Bachrack, Bachrock, I don't know, (laughs) and Shora Agdashlu. Pretty cool cast. I was like, oh, it's some unexpected uh, voices and faces and things like that. But I, I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. So, Whitney, I'm really excited about this part. What do the critics and audiences <laughs> think about the lake house? Well, I can't say for sure because I don't have access to the big data machine. But this might be one of the biggest splits we've ever seen. Right. We have a 35% critical score on Rotten Tomatoes and a 73% audience score. (laughs) That's pretty Um, huge. (laughs) That's a pretty big gulf between the two, which I find very interesting. So we have a critic quote from Peter Travers of Rolling Stone who says, I can't believe that even the most rabid chick flick masochists wouldn't gag on it. Which is a heck of a pull quote. <laughs> and then we have a user quote from Maggie H on Rotten Tomatoes, who gave it four out of five stars and says, I'll admit that I had to watch it at home at my own pace to follow the dual timelines. Once it clicked, it was so sweet. Definitely a heartstring tugger, not to mention the chemistry between the two of my favorite actors was spot on. Mm. Okay, Maggie. Okay. I disagree with Maggie, but... <laughs> 
We'll get into that <laughs> shortly. Okay. <laughs> um, what do we have here? Oh, Zoe. We know Zoe. She's yeah. written in before. She's she uh, is always following and commenting on Twitter and all this stuff. She actually wrote in about the on our last episode of Scanner Darkly when we were teeing up this week. Eric mentioned uh, a weird kiss. And Zoe wanted some clarification. So uh, she said, uh, on a scanner darkly, y'all seemed in agreement there was a weird kiss in the lake house. Which one are you referring to? There are two. If it's the one at the party, it's perfectly normal in the UK to snog a random stranger. I love that. Uh, Not weird in the slightest. But please bear in mind it's Keanu. And any kisses from him cannot possibly be a bad thing. Unless... Disagree. (laughs) Well, wait, wait, wait. Unless it's that strange sucking the top lip thing that he does, which reminds me of a plunger sometimes. (laughs) Uh, We'll wait to hear next week which one you're on about and put me out of my misery. So I don't actually know which kiss Eric was referring to. I'm sure to. it was the party kiss. The party that kiss? was super awkward. Interesting. That like, was the least, like, of all the kisses I've ever seen on screen and been like, do I want to be a part of that? Yes or no? That one was the hardest <laughs> no ever. Fill in, the, fill in the appropriate box. Yes, no, yeah. maybe. Yeah, uh, exactly. Okay. Do I wish to be one of the people involved in this kiss? Usually is like a thing that goes through your head in the background, like right. not consciously, but like just in the background. And that was such an amazingly uncomfortable kiss. Okay. To watch. So I'm guessing that's what it is, is the party kiss, just because it was so weird. And it was so close <laughs> and it was so long. Like you couldn't get away from the kiss. You know what I mean? Like some kisses are just like a very quick shot and then you are kind of like pulled back or something like that. And this was a very long extended kiss. Yeah, they well, definitely. This is the, yeah. That's that's the tipping point for this movie right there. Like if you have bought the romance up till now and you're following it and you are into that scene and you believe that they could have this instant connection, then you believe that the kiss would go on and on and on and on forever. If you don't buy it, if it's not staged correctly, if it's, if you're not quite like sure what's that you're on board with everything, then it's the most awkward kiss in the universe. Right. So like, that's <laughs> no, that's the moment where the movie either makes or breaks itself. Like you can't go halfway on that kiss. Cause it's the only time they're ever going to see each other for four years. Right. So, yeah. So Interesting. I mean, it has to be all, all right. or nothing. So the, I don't so disagree. I just think that Keanu, and I've said this before, my only like pop culture equivalent is, um, Rory Gilmore in the Gilmore girls, who is a very good actress for her role, but is incredibly uncomfortable anytime she has to touch a man at any point in time. <laughs> throughout the whole series for years and years and years. She does the weirdest hugs. She does the weirdest kisses. Like she, she's clearly physically, visibly uncomfortable anytime she has to get like touch she's, another man. She's also like, it, I don't think it's just men. I think it's every human. Like every time she gives hugs, she's just like, I don't know what to do with arms. How do yeah, they work? Yeah, it's know? awkward and weird. And to me, I feel like, I feel that with Keanu Reeves, but specifically with kisses, he's actually really good at the tension of touching, like bringing that, that um, for years and years and years, I thought that he had no chemistry with any female lead. He was never good as a romantic lead ever. I don't think that's true now, but I do still think that he cannot kiss women on screen. And I think that he 
has an awkwardness that he tries really hard to overcome. But for me, I see through it every time into being like, he doesn't really want to be doing this. <laughs> Fun. Yeah. All right. So well, you could also make the argument not that we're like diving way into this, but you could also make the argument that his character in this movie also would feel that same awkwardness. So it so it either works for for him in that moment or it doesn't. So. I, mean, I felt like the whole dance leading up to the kiss worked for me. I think they did a good job of playing that natural chemistry. And yeah, I think he has more chemistry with Sandra Bullock than any other person I've ever seen him played against romantically. Right. But I, I just think that like, like the whole dancing and the touching and how it got closer and how you could feel this sort of tension between them leading up to the kiss all played for me. The kiss did not. Fair. There you go. So Zoe, I hope that answered your question <laughs> about uh, which kiss and why. So. I'd also add that I think the very, very last kiss is also super awkward. Like he sort of like grabs her with his like lips. <laughs> <laughs> like a face hugger. I understand. <laughs> I mean, but at the time, but when I, I watched it, I was like, better about that kiss. Well, I think it makes sense in context because he's like been waiting literally for four, what, years. four years at this part, at this point to kiss her. So he, he really does kiss like somebody who's desperate. So I bought it. But at the same time, I was like, that kiss looked a little strange. So <laughs> hmm. Hmm. yeah. All right. I, well, I got to tell you that I'm very excited to get into the details then with both of you. Whitney, if you wouldn't mind kicking us mm -hmm. off, I I have a feeling I know, well, I know where I stand on it, and I have an idea of where Asia stands on it, but I have no idea what you think about this movie. Yeah. So let okay, me know. Okay, so everyone knows, because I've been saying it since we started this podcast, that I've purposefully been avoiding The Lake House for years, uh -huh. uh, because I didn't think I would enjoy it, uh, but here I am, stuck sucked into it it's not nearly as bad as i thought it was going to be okay. i enjoyed it it was fine it was there were parts that i was really into i actually think that for a sort of time differences sort of wibbly wobbly timey wimey as doctor who fans say i think that they actually did a really good job of telling that part of the story i completely hated every single scene where they uh, superimposed the two of them so it looked like a conversation. Oh, no. Like when they were in the park and when they were in that cafeteria, I was like, you can't manufacture like this chemistry by showing them both in the same place talking to one another, even though they're writing letters. For me, every time that happened, it took me out of the story. Um See, I kind of disagreed. Can I can I interject? Is yeah, that yeah, thing yeah. we can do? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I disagreed <laughs> yes. mainly because like you see her talking to herself on the train in that scene where the director is like sitting next to her is the cameo of the guy who's sort of interested when she's like, well, maybe we should introduce ourselves, you know? Mm -hmm. And like from that point, I was like, oh, okay, they're the kind of people who just have like who continue conversations in their heads when the person isn't there because I do that all the time, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it goes. To me, it goes against the idea of the plotline of being separated in time and not when they're both in the same place. Like, I don't mind them talking out loud because it's a movie. You can't just have them writing notes the whole movie because that's going to be boring to watch. But I don't think that like when they're in the park or when they're in that cafeteria in the building, having them in the same place at the same time, talking to one another from a distance, I think that went against the whole there's this barrier, but they're connecting anyway kind of a thing. Um because it tells your brain that they're in the same place at the same time, that there's not as much distance as there is. Um, so for me, I don't mind them talking out loud and and cut even cutting back and forth to make it look like a conversation. It was when they were both 
in the same shot. And it was a conversation that I did not like. What about that incredibly jarring one where people were fading out in the middle of the shot? Yeah. Where they were sitting outside? That caught yeah, me off guard. I saw a guy run and he was gone. And I'm like, wait, what the hell just happened? I took it back. I was like, did I miss, did I miss something? I was like, oh, I get it. Keanu faded in, stage left. Got it. Okay, cool. I think well, you also had trees fading in out of nowhere. So Yes, very much. Well, but that made sense. That's like the Back to the Future when, like, people start to fade out of pictures and stuff. <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, and the yeah, Twin I Pines. That yeah. yeah. Um, so, overall, I enjoyed it. I like romance movies. So, for... Most of the movie, I was buying what they were selling. Uh, I enjoyed it a whole heck of a lot more than I thought I would. It was definitely saccharine. And it was definitely, um, they telegraphed that it was him. Spoiler alert, if you haven't watched the movie yet. They telegraphed that it was him in that accident from, like, the moment it happened. I knew from the very beginning scene where she tries to, where that guy gets hit and she runs into traffic to try and help him as a doctor, that that was Keanu Reeves. Interesting. Right. I didn't even think that we were supposed to see that as a spoiler. Like, exactly. I the moment he showed it's up wearing so the exact same outfit. That I felt like they were they were really kind of leading me by the hand. And I don't like when I feel like I'm being led by the hand. But also that's kind of what people who like to watch romances want is to be led by the hand. It's not to, to think deeply about the timeline <laughs> and the plot. So I understand why they did it. But for me, I feel like it didn't. It it didn't add anything to the story or tension or chemistry or anything. I was not in any way like, I just didn't vibe with knowing that he was the one in the accident so early on. Um, but I think again, Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves do well together. Um, I think that Keanu, this was a perfect rom-com or not, it wasn't really comedy, a romance for him because he's alone most of the time, which is when I think he does his best work is when you see the stuff going on internally f with him. Mm. Um, so that actually, I think played in his favor. Uh, I like the soundtrack a lot, but that's kind of a given. Cause it was all like Paul Simon and Nick Drake. And it was like <laughs> romance movie soundtracks, but it was a good soundtrack. Um, I liked the coloring of it. I liked that it always kind of looked like fall, even when it was summer or winter. Yeah. Um, there was a sort of a, of a like warm amber tint to everything that I really enjoyed. And obviously the lake house itself is a masterwork. Like, oh my gosh, that's talk about like house porn. <laughs> right. I felt the same. I paused it. When they showed yeah. it for the first time, I was like, damn, this is the lake house? Yeah. All right. All right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're not exaggerating when they say it's like Frank Lloyd Wright, Corbusier. Like, that's definitely the the style. You can definitely believe that his dad was like a master, you know, super, super famous architect. Yeah. That sort of thing. For sure. And oh, also, sure. They're like, I loved that relationship between Keanu and Christopher Plummer. It was so good. It was very so well tense. Very cool. And the way the way that like like that 
when he brings him the coffee in the hospital and he's like, thanks. And then there's a really long pause and then he forces out son and Keanu looks shocked. Like there was so much minutia in the way that both of them delivered those performances that really, really worked for me. And like I said, I really think that for a, a time travel sort of a thing, they did a good job with the stuff like the footprints, the dog prints on the dock <laughs> and the like the book, finding the book at the train station, seeing her running under the train uh, him putting the book in the floorboards of her new apartment because the building was still being built. All that kind of stuff worked super well for me. Um, I think they did a good job of of playing that out but not playing too hard into it. Mm. So, I mean, I definitely, like, if I have to give it a, a score, I definitely thought it was going to be closer to the critics' score on Rotten Tomatoes. I thought it was going to be closer to a, a 35, and it was definitely more like a 65-70 for me. I enjoyed it, but... It's definitely not anything that's like, you have to go see this right now. If you're looking for a romance, if it's a sick day, something like that, it, go for it. But it's definitely not something I think anyone needs to seek out. Um, unless you're doing something like this where you want to be a completionist with Keanu. <laughs> so overall, those are my feelings. All right. All right. Asia, you want to pick up uh, where Whitney left off? Um, sure. Well, actually, first, I want to apologize because um, I don't know if you guys intentionally structured it this way, but uh, we were supposed to record this on Thursday and I couldn't do it because I had no voice. And so we pushed it back to Saturday and I had forgotten how much Valentine's Day was in this movie. And the whole time I was like, shit, what if they structured this like the entire podcast no. <laughs> to read? So that was the point where they were recording. Yeah, pretty <laughs> serendipitous, actually. Right? Yeah. <laughs> completely coincidence and the whole time i was just like oh fuck what if they could have like released this on valentine's day and they and and they they couldn't and it's all my fault so <laughs> i felt really bad so i uh would just like to apologize for ruining the synchronicity of of how we almost released this episode or could have released this episode or around valentine's day i guess it's still valentine around valentine's day but yeah you know we this actually happened before with Sweet November because uh, it, you spoil it you know that movie actually is like a Thanksgiving movie and we were like a week early on that one. It's just how things have fallen. So no, it was not intentional at all, but kind of it's cool really nonetheless. Yeah. Um, so I when I gave you guys my initial like five movies, I was mostly focusing on things that were like that Keanu was a lead actor in. Mm -hmm. Like if we're honestly talking about like my, probably my favorite Keanu movie of all time would be much ado about nothing, which I've seen a zillion what? gazillion times. And which I had, which, which appeared to me at like a formative time of my life. But you would never say that that is one of your favorite Keanu movies. <laughs> movies. <laughs> no, not at all. Unless you're Whitney. Right. Unless you're Whitney. <laughs> it's up there. I mean, I mean, not for Keanu's can... performance for sure. Right. That's what I mean. Like I yeah. was, I was thinking, you know, what are what are my thoughts on like the movies that 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 show Keanu at his best? You know, which perform which movies deliver the best performance and are also enjoyable and fun to watch and so forth. And I still think that the Lake House is one of his best performances. Like I think it's it's at his most. One of the times you see him in a lead role at his most natural, where he gets to do uh, some pretty serious dramatic acting, um, but where he's also still like recognizably you know engaging and and. And conversational and fun and and I don't know I don't know anything about this director Alejandro Agresti but I think he did a really great job at at at, um, at sort of framing Keanu's strengths 
you know, especially in all those scenes with Christopher Plummer. Like, I think they just act really, really well together. And even um, the other guy, uh, Eric Bachrach, Bachrach. Yeah, the brother yeah, the, the, character, the I believe. His brother, yeah. yeah. Um, like, I think they they all, like, just sort of played off each other really, really well. Um, I I think it's really rare that you get to see a film that just sort of lets Keanu be Keanu without mm-hmm. sort of set dressing him in a lot of ways. And I think this movie accomplishes that really nicely and really graciously. I think it's just a really, I, th- I think I would say for me, it's a film that, that a Keanu film, a Keanu fan would want to watch just for his performance. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of how I feel. That's I think fair. since um, the brother was brought up, I just want to get back in here real quick with some more thoughts and feelings. <laughs> Why does that brother character look like he's crying the whole movie? The only time I didn't feel like he was on the verge of tears was when he was talking about his brother dying two years ago to the day. Literally <laughs> the, only the time entire we needed rest of the it. movie, every line, he looks on the verge of tears. Yeah. I, I mean, fair. I didn't think that until you just brought it up. But in retrospect, I'm thinking, yeah, always very watery, red. Uh, yeah, okay. All right. I don't know. That's a signature. I don't know if it's just, just the way that that person is as a person or if that was like a choice to be so brimming with emotion all the time or whatever. But it, it really, uh, really got me every time. I was like, why is he about to cry? It's not even about him right now. Interesting. Anyway, we can continue. <laughs> I have no answers for you. I have no answers for you. But Tough. I do think that um, there's a, there's a lot of interesting family stuff in this movie. Like, I think there's a lot of interesting, like, like for me, a good example is when the, the mom and the, the daughter are talking and the daughter asks um, one of those classic scenes that doesn't pass the, de- the Bechtel test about why she didn't marry the the, one, the guy she fell in love with. Mm-hmm. And like, and I think in any other romance, you would have gotten like the long, sad backstory, but you just don't get it. And she just yeah. is like whatever instead like it's water under the bridge you don't get to know the answer it doesn't matter like i like that they they sort of show you um the implications of a lot of of that these people have lived real lives and that they're they're real people they're exhausted they're tired and they're not gonna they're not gonna bring dump extraneous backstory into this this movie it's (laughs) difficult to follow as it is (laughs) Um, (laughs) right but I think uh, I think that's uh, one way in which the, the movie gets a lot of nuance. I think also, um, for me, in addition to like the the soft amber like rom not not rom com but like the soft amber like mid two thousands ish lighting that sort of permeates this film, there's a lot of weird nostalgia for me. Like this idea, I think there's a lot embedded into the movie too. Like this idea that you can sort of have this timelessness attached to a place that sort of hangs on no matter how much things change or don't think or don't change. Mm. But I was just thinking, God, you could not, I don't think you could do this movie now because like just in the last freaking four years, how much has changed, how much of the entire world has changed. Like what if you were writing to somebody from, if you were writing to somebody in 2013 from the year 2016, like, (laughs) <laughs> Whoa. Imagine how yeah. imagine how different your letter would be. Like you wouldn't even be able to 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 properly prepare them, you know? And and I think that looking back between so between 2004 and 2006, we like probably the biggest thing that happened was Hurricane Katrina. And I think it's really really telling that that you could still have something like Hurricane Katrina happen in 2005 and have it not really shake the the 
the staid poetic ambiance of this film mm. um, in a way that I think would not be possible today. And mm-hmm. so even though this film was made just like what, however long, 12, what, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, this is what, 2006? Yes. So 14 yeah. years. Yeah. Um, like 14 years ago does not seem like that much time to have like <laughs> developed a sense of like, of, of deep longing for the, for <laughs> the time when. And, and yet, yet here, here we, we are. are. <laughs> and yet here we are. <laughs> right. Yep. I'll um, drink to that. So there's a, yeah, that's, yeah. that's the last four years for you. Yeah. Uh, here's to 2020. I'm sure it'll be fine. I'm sure it's fine. <laughs> and when they're joking in the lake house about how, oh, it's a good thing we're not going to live through climate change. Like, <laughs> oh, boy. Um, uh-huh. Huh? Yeah. So I think there's a lot of things about this movie that are are ridiculous. Like the like the magical dog, for one thing. Um, <laughs> and the, 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 the way that sometimes time, time shifts work one way and sometimes they work another way. Um, and just the sort of the, there, there are a lot of conceits that you have to go with. There are time travel movie conceits and and there are romance conceits that you have to go with. But, um, but I think once you apply those conceits and just roll with them, like the, the lake house to me anyway, becomes a really, um, a nuanced and lovely movie. I just think it's kind of lovely. Yeah. All right. Oh, and I'm also a huge Jane Austen fan, so I don't really. I think the persuasion like reference was really like shoehorned in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one thing I do like, one reference I do like that that was a little more subtle is uh, there's one scene in Christopher Plummer's uh, swank house that that when uh, Keanu Reeves is there and they're playing jazz, um, this song that's playing in the background is uh, it's almost like being in love, um, which I don't know if you guys know that song at all. Mm-mm. It's mm-hmm. jazz. I do. Um, yeah, yeah. So you know, it's probably probably you know it's from Brigadoon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is uh, a story, a, a Broadway musical about um, a town that only appears once every hundred years. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy goes there, and he gets stuck there um, on the one day it appears, and then he has to figure out like whether he wants to to like basically go back to his real life or be stuck in this town that's out of time forever. Um, and I always thought that that was a really nice reference to to uh, to sort of being lost in time in that movie. Yeah. In that moment. Yep. I thought so, too. Of course, I was in Brigadoon when I was a child, so I was obviously going to get that reference, whereas I don't <laughs> think a lot of people would. Brigadoon's one of those things that only hardcore musical theater people are familiar with the songs from. I don't think that's true. But, well... I mean, it was pretty popular back in the day, so you probably got a lot of baby boomers who know it, but baby boomers probably would not be watching The Lake House. So. <laughs> but, hey, I learned something from this right here, which is great. We're bringing additional context, so that's cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I have a couple things, and I'll cover them in just quick order. I have some fun moments in this movie that I really like that I just want to call out because I thought they were great. Right up in the beginning, scene that made me laugh out loud, the MRI guy blessed himself when he was right next to the cross. He's like, he might not be alive in four hours. And he did the sign of the cross. Mm -hmm. I was like, great. I'm on board. I like this already. Uh, Technically, I really like the transitions um, between the two timelines. And that's like conveyed with like seasonally and with color and all that really great stuff. Asia, you pointed out that this is some of Keanu's uh, better acting. And I would agree, but it also has maybe his single worst acting 
ever. And that was the sneeze, which was just <laughs> yeah. god awful. Yeah. It was terrible. <laughs> it was awful. I could not get past that. It's like, <laughs> and how they called been, it like I, two I seconds before. <laughs> Every, yeah. She's like, everyone gets sick. He's like, it was not good. It was not good. It was my only real nitpick of the movie beyond uh, the larger nitpick that I have in a second. Um, I really like the long take on the porch at her birthday between the two of them, where it was just mm -hmm. them side by side, and they just crushed that whole scene back and forth. I was yeah. like, damn, this is great. Legitimately great. A lot of dialogue, too, so it was good. And I love that they filmed it from behind, so and in silhouette. So you're basically just like you're only using like their their body language from apart at first. Yes, yeah. You know? And and how they how they slowly shift over the 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 movement of the scene, and they both played it so well. I thought it was really well done. Yeah, I really like stuff like that, and I definitely I love to call out those those types of moments too because, you know. Traditionally, when there's just like a lot of cuts and stuff, you're like, oh, okay, you could do that take a bunch of times. And arguably, that might be harder if you have to, if someone makes a mistake and you get a reset. But like when you see it done in one shot, you're like, man, that, it, they were great together. They're really great together. Uh, I like as, as a not uh, rom, romantic comedy, romantic movie person generally, I still got to get that list from you, Whitney. I will follow up about that. Um, I like how non-traditional this kind of felt, at least to me, in my limited experience. Like two people falling in love without really actually interacting in any other way than through these letters. Like it's not a necessarily like a physical thing and all that stuff. I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. I like it. Um, the time travel conceit was really interesting. I was thinking the whole movie. I was like, how can we get these two to meet? Like, oh, let's just say like when you're here on the, like you be here on this day and schedule it and I'll be there. And it's, and they did that with the restaurant. I was like, yes, it makes sense. It makes sense. Oh, that didn't quite work out in the movie, but that's cool. Um, this is just specific to me. Uh, I love the architecture jargon in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. The metaphor about the house being about control rather than connection. It was incredibly good. Oh, what a great shorthand for what his childhood yeah. must have been like. Incredibly so cool. Incredibly good. Yeah, it was, it was spot on. I love that part great too, too that because you can see it. Like you can actually see it in the yeah. second. You can see it in the glass. You could see how how Keanu would want to come in. How that character Alex would want to come in and make a house that was that cold and and structuralist. You know, make it very warm and inviting, and try and and inject all the elements that he didn't get from his childhood. You know. Yeah, and it's like that was. I think that was. I, that might have been the scene where he was there with his brother and like. You know, they pre and, he yeah, presses and they the button. The roof open. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it's not a you know it's like a, there's a tree. It's like yeah, but it's in a box. Like the they built the house around the tree. They didn't include it in the hoe. And I was like, oh man, that just really hit me in a in a in a way. Um, I I as a small tangent, I friggin' love that show, The World's Most Extraordinary Homes, on Netflix. And everything that they talk about on that show about like how light falls and the interplay with nature and building a house around a tree at all tracks in this movie in like a cool yeah. way. I was like, oh, I, I, I eat this stuff up. I really, really enjoy it. Okay. I have, here's my, here's my quibbles. And I did the same thing. I'll do this every single time, time travel. Oh my gosh. If I think, I'll, if I think really hard about this movie, like my brain is broken. 
Yeah, but you're not supposed to think really hard about this movie. I know, That's but I thing. can't help it because well, I, I nerd out over every this. Every time travel, like, I literally can't think about Looper for more than seconds without wanting to punch something. <laughs> yes, <Like>. come on. <laughs> God. Doesn't it's, it destroy the experience of watching Looper, you know? Like, like that's true. sort of the conceit that you're always given when you have a time travel movie. So, yeah. yeah. The the interesting thing, I mean, it definitely opens up the Back to the Future uh, almanac storyline here. Because it's not just, like, these letters. Like, she sent a whole book. So, presumably, anything that could fit inside the mailbox can go back to him, right? The other question mm-hmm. I had, and this is just, like, a just theoretically here, right? Uh, so they get together eventually. Spoilers for the movie. We'll get to it. It's fine. Hopefully you watched by this point. So would that stop the po- does the post box continue to work? Because like then they could like presumably have like a perfect life. Like if they make a mistake, it's like oh we'll just write a letter to you you know two years ago, dodge that bullet kind of situation. Kind of an interesting. That's just me thinking about the dynamics of this temporal well, that's, that's post box. That's the thing box. that they did not address is when you change the past. You change the present. Yes, the butterfly and so effect. They never, they never addressed the fact that he doesn't die in that square. So all of the years that she lived in between that guy and the end of the movie, like trying to save that guy and being new at this hospital, all of that's different now. None of that actually happened. But she still remembers it all like it did happen. And they never <laughs> once, they're like, we're not even going to go there. And that's what well, he also big- ha- had to basically just like take a two year time out before he showed up at that exact spot at that exact <laughs> right. moment. Yeah, no, there's two whole years of Keanu's life that we don't see on screen. Right. This alternate I- version. Oh. What, what always gets me about this movie, and again, like quibbles and conceits that you have to go with, but like they, this movie seems like it takes place in a, a version of reality that doesn't have the internet. Cause if it were me and <laughs> I knew that he made that, that uh, reservation like two years in advance only to not show up at that restaurant. Yeah. Google. The next day I would be like, okay, Alex, I'm going to Google you. We're going to find out where you've been for the last two years. So I can explain to you where the hell you are. Yeah. <laughs> me up, you know, and I think that would have explained a lot. But of course, you can't have that because you have to have the climax, you know? Exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. If you. Yeah. That's just a small. I, I do the same thing when we watch Bill and Ted in the causal loop. I'm like, it's there because it's there. Like they got real. I got some serious kind of Bill and Ted vibes here when they were you know, leaving packages for each, like he was leaving packages for her. I was like, oh, that's really cool. Stomp the floorboard. Oh, there's a, there's the book. Neat. I like it. Just don't think too hard about it. Otherwise, you, you, you know, your eyes roll well, back and that's it. That's exactly like the in Looper, as an example, when they're, they're torturing the guy and they're cutting his, his arms and legs off, off or whatever. Yeah. Super cool conceit in theory. But the second you look at that harder, you're like, None of this is possible. Yeah, he wouldn't be there right now. He wouldn't be there. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's yeah, it's tough. It's tough. But overall, uh, I really, really, actually enjoyed this movie quite a bit. I'm, I'm more with the the. I would say I'm closer to the critics for sure on this in this movie, um, and a lot of it just hinges on the fact that Keanu and Sandra are like incredibly, extremely watchable charming people right you're like i just want to see these two people happy and and in yeah. love so i mean you closer to the to the fans rather than the critics oh sorry was that uh i looked at the wrong i was looking at the wrong number the audience i'm like up in the 70s for this movie for sure like i really really had a good time with it so oh thank you i feel validated <laughs> right i i never know with this because again not being a romantic movie person traditionally i've had to go we've gone through a couple with 
Keanu here, and it's starting mm-hmm. to change my mind. So Whitney is going to help me out. Uh, you got to watch. Just start me. with sleeping with other people. Just start with that. Okay. So actually, there's a good movie that might. Um, so there's a, a movie that is a reference point for a lot of different like tropes that sort of do the thing that you said you'd never seen done before, mm. um, where they're sort of falling in love without actually meeting. And Shop around um, the corner and you've yeah, got mail. Shop around the corner. Um, which have you Shop seen Shop around the corner? No, yeah. I have not. So Shop Around the Corner basically invented uh, uh, this trope that has been used countless times since. And it was actually remade into uh, In the Good Old Summertime, which was then remade into The Good Old Summertime again, um, which is then remade into You've Got Mail. Uh, oh, okay. and also and also the Broadway musical She Loves Me. So mm-hmm. it's been all over the place and has spawned its own sort of like um, like there are a lot of. There are a lot of like tropes that sort of do like, oh, they're they're they they know each other in real life, but they're in an anonymous chat room together playing as like their sock puppets on the Internet. And they don't know that they're the same people. <laughs> but the, the conceit is usually that <clears throat> the person, the two people hate each other in real life. Like they have a really antagonistic, like real life relationship full of conflict and tension, like usually a lot of seeming sexual tension that they can't articulate because they're in roles that are conflicting and and putting them um, at odds with each other, but then they're falling in love through these anonymous letters where they don't know who each, who the other person is. And usually what happens is that the, the guy always, for whatever reason, winds up knowing, like being the person, um, who figures out or has the, the power of knowing who the girl is without her knowing who he is, which I've always found really interesting about this trope. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost always that particular power dynamic. And at one point, at some point in the movie, there's always a point where the guy comes to see the girl without her knowing who he is. And he has full knowledge of who she is. So you get scenes like this that play out where he's just sort of gazing at her longingly and she's just like, okay, who are you? You know, like that kind of thing, you know, or like that's the, and you go ahead. Oh no, sorry. I was just calling him a creep for staring longingly. (laughs) Right. Right. Well, usually because usually in the movie, she knows him as the guy she thinks she hates. Right. And and in this movie, it's a little interesting because she doesn't know him at all. So you have a little more of straight like the sense of two strangers in the night, you know, ships passing or whatever. Um, so I think that sort of makes it stand out a little bit. But there is that sense in in what that sense, it's really tropey. Um, and in another sense, I think it's really kind of a neat overlay of the of that trope with the timeline shift trope. So, mm-hmm. Interesting. All right. Well, I wrote them both down. I'll check them. I don't think I've seen You've Got Mail either, actually. I saw, uh, what was the other one with those two, though? Uh, Houseboat. Uh, Yes, I saw that one. Uh, Empire State Building, all that good stuff. That was very good. That's Tom Hanks. You can't go wrong. So, good. There's also Joe versus the Volcano. Can't forget that one. Uh, Best Tom Hanks movie. I don't know if I saw that one either. I'm terrible oh, it's with so Tom good. Hanks. You've never seen Joe versus the Volcano? Mm-mm. I don't oh. think so. All right. It's my you favorite Tom Hanks movie Tom Rings- by far. Yeah. <laughs> the Tom Hanks rewatch podcast? Is that yes. uh... <laughs> I absolutely need to do that. <laughs> All right. I'll add it to the list. There's a there's a list of running names people have, have run by me. They're like, next you should. I was like, All right. I'll just freaking add it to the list. Tom Hanks. Quite. Yeah. All right. What a range. What a range. Uh... Do we have anything else we want to say uh, at large before we move in to our next big segment? No, I think it's time. Okay. I added that little pause because I I think the you didn't hear the theme song, but I think uh, up top, but I think I fixed it. So hopefully you will hear uh, what is coming. So 
It's time for everyone's favorite game, and I'll let Keanu take us away. Pop quiz, asshole. There was a time when I had the need to learn from you. Oh, what the hell do you know? Lose! I don't lose! I win! She's got a lot to learn about sportsmanship. Oh my goodness, Pop Quiz Asshole is our very own Quizzo show where our host asks us each three questions. If one of us gets it wrong, the other has a chance to steal. And if they get it wrong, the other person has a chance to steal again, thanks to our new setup here. Points are not cumulative and only determines who wins this episode because Whitney broke the game with her knowledge and guessing abilities and we can't <laughs> abide that kind of raw, unchecked power going forward. Asia, this is all very new to you. So we've cleared the oh, board. I'm, I'm completely prepared to lose as badly as I lost last time. Here's so. the deal. But you're not up against 100 plus points. There's not a deficit of 90 plus points here. So <laughs> and likewise for me. As of right now, I have one point and that's it. Right. Whitney won our episode on a scanner darkly. The cool news is that all three of us get to participate thanks to the efforts of our brand new host, the singular compendium of knowledge and facts of all things Keanu Reeves, Charles Nolan. Hello, Charles. Hello, everybody. Charles <laughs> Nolan has returned. It's great to have you back. I feel a little bit more prepared as opposed to last <laughs> week, which really caught me off guard, caught a lot of people <laughs> off guard. Well, get your guard up, because it's time for Pop Quiz Asshole. I'm very excited. I'm very excited. Uh, As am I. Yeah. So Charles, he's the he's they're they're running the show here. So they they call the shots. Let's Charles, let us know what to do. All right. Well, we're gonna start off with Asia. I'm oh, gonna no! ask three <laughs> questions to each person. All right. And then there will be some bonus questions that have available points to them at the end. <laughs> okay. You just, okay. you just call it out. I'll start the music. Here we go. <laughs> Asia, question one. According to Sandra Bullock, the title house lacked what important feature of a home? Is it A, toilets, B, hot water, or C, locks? What was this? What was C? Locks. Locks? Locks? Yeah. yeah. Um... Okay, well, I don't remember seeing a bathroom in that house at all, so I'm going to go with toilets. <laughs> that is correct. Whoa! Oh, nice. Right out of the gate. <laughs> nice. Like, do you, I don't remember a bathroom. I don't think there was one. So. No. There were no toilets in that house. <laughs> yeah, there was no privacy whatsoever. <laughs> not very feasible. <laughs> but like most fathers love to say, nature was all around you. I mean, they had a tree, so... <laughs> Oh, uh, nature, nature, Chicago in the winter. Good Lord. Right. All right. That, Moving uh, on. Next up for question number two, Whitney. All right. Yes. Who was the original choice to play Alex Weiler? Oh. Does A, Orlando Bloom, B, Brandon Ruth, or C, John Cusack? Whoa. Well, I don't even know who Brandon Ruth is by name. <laughs> So I'm going to go John Cusack. Agent Ruth played Superman in that terrible Superman movie with Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> but 
Jug, you are correct. It was John Cusack. Nice. Excellent. Wow. John Cusack? It would have taken on a very different tone if it were John Cusack in that role. It's super weird. This is not the first time that, like, he has been up. I remember in previous pop quizzes that coming up, too, like, the same role was like a toss up between Keanu and John Cusack. And they're not really, I guess, visually, Similar. they might look, you know, like dark hair. I don't know, but not on the same level at all. Weird. They are very different. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Charles. You're very welcome. Moving on, Andrew, all question right. three. Alex discusses with Mulhern several other employees at the construction site, listing off Polly, Carlos, Frank, Danny, and what's his name? Tall guy. <laughs> what is his name? Oh! Is it A, Clemens, B, Raphael, or C, Jorge? I remember this. It's Raphael. That is correct. Yes! All right. That would have been wow. terrible. I thought I was, if if this was not a multiple choice question, I would not have gotten it, but, oh. I would have. That's, yeah, you pay more attention. you would have Whitney, you show us. <laughs> <laughs> True. Back up to the top of the order, Asia. All right. When describing her dog, Jack, to Alex, what word does Kate use to describe her eyes? Are they A, bright, B, thoughtful, or C, sad? <laughs> like the, I like the inflection. Um, I think thoughtful, I think thoughtful. That is incorrect. Oh, damn it. <laughs> steal. Steal. Oh. Whitney, you've got a chance to steal. Sad. Sad is correct. <laughs> dog. Oh, goddamn magical dog. Time traveling asshole. I did not like the dog conceit, but I did like when Sandra Bullock played chess with the dog a lot. That, that was, was really cool. That dog seemed to know what was going on. Seemed like a thoughtful dog. More, <laughs> more of a grasp of chess than I have. The horsey moves in an L. All right. <laughs> what incredible timing. Whitney. When Kate and Jack are playing chess, <laughs> which piece does Jack choose to move? Oh. Oh. Is it A, a pawn, B, a knight, or C, a rook? I actually think that Andrew did say it and it was a knight. That's my guess. Was it? That is accurate. Holy <laughs> shit! I thought it was... <laughs> So cool. All right. Andrew. I'm ready. What day of the week do Alex and Kate go on their walk together? Oh. Is it A, Friday, B, Saturday, or C, Sunday? I'm going to go with Saturday. That is correct. Yes. All right. Woo. I'm still in this thing. All right. <laughs> Actually, we all are. Points at the end. It's fine. All right. Starting the final round of regulation questions. 
<laughs> Regulation, ooh. Oh no. Asia. In I'm the ready. hospital. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? I just said I'm ready, go ahead. <laughs> In a hospital scene, we see a few shots of a Cary Grant movie that reappears when Kate is watching TV at home. Which movie is it? It's Notorious, come on. <laughs> what? Right out of the blue? Of course, Hitchcock, come on. Charles, you know Hitchcock. Charles, can we get a... Yes. Charles has very strong opinions about getting interrupted. <laughs> <laughs> but that is correct, it is Notorious. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Charles. I'm hey, sorry. Agent New. It's a additionally impressive when you interrupt and get the question right. <laughs> I'm like, well, if, I, if I didn't know a yeah. Hitchcock film, you would have been, I would have just quietly exited the podcast never to return. <laughs> <laughs> for future episodes. Oh, Lord. Oh, no. Oh, no. Asia, no, for reference. Every Hitchcock question wrong from now until the end of time. No, I'm, no. I'm, well, luckily, it's a Keanu Reeves podcast and not a Hitchcock right. podcast. How much so overlap could there be? There's a lot of overlap. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Famous last words. Whitney. Yes. In the movie The Untouchables, Sean Connery's character lives at 1634 Racine. This means that 2006 Kate lives just down the street from him. What? What was the number on Racine where Kate lived? Is it 1620? 1640 or 1660. Oh man. Why am I? 1620? That is correct. Unbelievable. Whew. That was too close was, for me to was, call. That was sheer guessing. That was <laughs> whew, that was just one out of three chance there. <laughs> well done. Well done. Andrew, for the final regulation question. I don't like the way that, that Charles keeps saying regulation. <laughs> it's very disturbing. Very Hunger Games. <laughs> very oh, Hunger no. Games. Someone volunteers tribute. Okay. January Stern has an uncredited appearance in this movie as a pediatrician. Of her 25 IMDb credits, how many clarify that her roles were uncredited? <laughs> oh, God damn it. Is it 10, 15, or all 25? You know, when presented with the opportunity, you know, you got to go all in. I'm going to say all 25 uncredited. That is incorrect. Damn it. All right. Fair. Steel, might as well. Right. Asia. Uh, I'm gonna do ten. That is incorrect. Bye. Oh, by default. <laughs> Whitney, if you can remember the other option, <laughs> you get I, the point. I cannot, but I'm gonna say fifteen. Another <laughs> good guess. <laughs> Damn it! <laughs> Unbelievable. <sighs> there are. Three bonus questions. Okay. Very exciting. What are the uh, parameters, Charles? They will be 
buzz in questions. Okay. Are we supposed to just say buzz? You can choose your buzzer sound now. <laughs> I'm just going to go with what I did last time, which is say me saying me. Uh-huh. Great. Andrew, are you still going to buzz like you did last time? Yeah, I'll go uh, as, as difficult as it is. I'll bzz. Yeah, I'll do that. Fantastic. Asia. I am going to say the word buzz. <laughs> Wonderful. It's variety. I will ask the first question. Someone will buzz in. And then I will give the choices. Okay. The two other bonus questions <laughs> do not have multiple choices. Oh, okay. all right. Okay. You may start the music now. <laughs> Thanks, Charles. <laughs> The lake house is on Maple Lake, which is three-fifths of a mile from the world's first what? Andrew, is it the world's first IHOP? Oh my God. The world's first merry-go-round or the world's first nuclear reactor? What? Um, <laughs> no, it can't be an IHOP, right? It can't be an IHOP. I'm going to go... I'm going to go with merry-go-round. That is incorrect. God damn it. All right. Steel. Can we steal? Yeah, sorry. Yes. Whitney, I heard you say steal first. Yeah, I'm going to say IHOP. That is incorrect. Huh? Oh! Oh! <laughs> Asia, it's yours Asia. to it's yours to get. Nuclear reactor. That is correct. Wow! I had wow, no idea. Indeed. I had no but idea. That is five big that. points for Asia. All right, all right, catching up. This was the first movie. Oh, I'm sorry. Music, please. <laughs> This was the first movie to be simultaneously released in three different specific formats. <laughs> Which formats were they? Three formats. Yes. Uh, Buzz, Buzz, Buzz Lightyear. Asia. <laughs> okay. Uh, DVD, does that count as a format? DVD, that Blu-ray? It does count as a format. It does? Yeah. Yes. Okay, DVD, Blu-ray. Um, uh, what's the other one? The one that was like phased out in favor of Blu-ray. That's not. <laughs> it starts with an H. It's like, is it like HD or H H something? HHR. Is that right? That's not right. <laughs> Charles, it's it's your call. <laughs> I'm going to need a final ruling. Oh shit! On what your answer is. <laughs> DVD, Blu-ray, um, high-definition format thing, HHR, I think is what it's called. I'm probably wrong. It is not DVD, Blu-ray, and HHR. Steal, 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 steal. Thank you, Asia. Your sacrifice will be remembered. (laughs) It's a DVD, Blu-ray, and HD DVD. 
That is correct. Yes. I forgot about HD DVD until I heard HHR. I was like, oh, wait, I got it. I remember now. I, I said high definition. I got so close. You were so close. <laughs> like a couple that had just met each other at a birthday party. You were dancing all around it. Back to this podcast in four years, I'll have a perfect score, is what you're saying. Yes, there you <laughs> go. Oh, okay, the final and most difficult question. I don't like it, and because it's worth five points, it's five. <laughs> the entire whoever gets this question right wins the episode. <laughs> oh boy, pressure's on. What? is the best song used in this movie. Oh no! It's so subjective! <laughs> it is not. There is a clear answer. <laughs> oh, man. Um, Buzz. Buzz, it's too late. Sure. It's too late. That is it. What? <laughs> How about... Uh, Andrew. The God damn it. I it's the Paul McCartney one that they play at the end. No, it is not. <laughs> is it Time Has Told Me by Nick Drake? No, it is not. I'll <laughs> the episode, I guess. It was Nick Drake's Pink Moon. <laughs> Do not Charles got it. Wait a minute. We are at an unprecedented tie for first place. Get out! Between Asia and Andrew. <gasps> what? Wow. I what? don't know how that happened. <laughs> I do. They were the bonus question. figures two episodes into the new format we would have a completely unprecedented uh situation happen it's like oh cool 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 all right um hey i'm fine with the tie don't they do I'm that fine in with the tie. what's what uh soccer right soccer has ties so this is not soccer there is a tiebreaker <laughs> question oh okay no, tiebreaker charles consummate professional okay here we go the opening weekend gross of this movie. What was it? And whoever is closest wins the time. Oh, is this Price is Right or something this else? Price is Right rules. <laughs> Always. <laughs> Close without going over. Okay. <laughs> so we both have to just guess? Guess the gross of this movie? The gross. The opening weekend. Oh, the opening weekend. I have no godly idea it was 2006 yeah was it, did it open when did it open like what what June we know, like... summer uh summer 2006 okay um i'm gonna go with 15 no no 12 million dollars i was gonna go with 12 million <laughs> fuck <laughs> sorry Twelve million and one. Oh no! That gives me a, a decent range, though, beneath. So okay, I'll take it. <laughs> the correct answer is 
13 million. Asia, you thief. You thief. Well, I feel like that's karmic repayment for you using Asia dancers. It all comes around. Yeah. Came around quick this time. It sure did. One episode. Good Lord. Well done. Thank you. Congratulations. Your prize will be in the mail. <laughs> so should I go outside and see if my mailbox is magically like? <laughs> yes. yes, you should. It's your prize from yourself in the future or the past. I, wait, I can't remember. One of them. Oh, not telling me to make sure to guess HDTV. <laughs> <laughs> perfect. Perfect. Charles, as always, I look forward to this more and more each week. So, As do I. Thank I'm you for so your glad. time. Thank you for including me on this incredible podcast. <laughs> I, have, have a wonderful rest of your evening. I will fade back into darkness, where all I do is think of Keanu Reeves. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> you and me both. So that's uh, that's pop quiz asshole. That's the new format. I'm really like Asia. How, what was your experience with this? Uh, this uh, new. It was it was joyous. Perfect. It was joyous. Okay, good. I'm glad. Well, Everyone seems to I'm enjoy not this. I'm saying that just because I won. I don't know how that happened, but. <laughs> you you won because you know. All right. Mm-hmm. So. We're going to get into just some of the specifics of the film here. I'm going to keep it pretty light, but feel free to uh, to jump in whenever you want. Uh, we're not going to talk too much about the time travel stuff. Just I'm going to reference years so we know where the hell we are at any given time. <laughs> so uh, we open uh, with Kate Forrester, played by Sandra Bullock. She's a doctor in 2006, living in Chicago. She moved into an apartment after living in a house-built next to a, a very scenic lake in the countryside. Uh, she writes a letter to the next tenant asking that this person forward any mail. And sorry about the paw prints. They were there when she arrived. <clears throat> the next, the tenant, Alex, played by Keanu, reads the letter. He sees no paw prints. He's like, what the hell is she, this person talking about? Uh, there's also... It, the letter also references uh, a box somewhere in the attic, and that's not there either. So he just disregards the, the letter until a few days later, he's redoing the paint. He's painting and a stray dog whom Alex names uh, Jack, even though it's a it's a girl dog. Right. Am I right here? Mm-hmm. Uh, steps in this paint, trots right down this walkway into the house. Paul prints everywhere. Huh. Very interesting. Very interesting. Cut to Valentine's Day, 2006. Kate is visiting the lake house after having a gentleman die in her arms. Literally, she's having lunch with her mom. She sees a bus accident happen, and she finds the, she goes out here to clear her head. Mailbox flag is up. She reads Alex's letter, states her current address, but also indicates that she's in 2006, not 2004, which is really, really weird. Alex, Alex goes to visit her current address, but finds a construction site. It's like, this place doesn't exist yet. It's really, really, really weird. Another, another head turner here. Kate and Alex continue to correspond through the mailbox. They find themselves falling in love. And because Kate is in the future, she could tell Alex specific things and places to look for in 2004. 
So for instance, one occasion, she asks Alex to bring her back something important, right? This is what she says in the letter. It's a gift from her father, and it's what Asia had mentioned. It's her favorite novel by Jane Austen called Persuasion. So she left this on a train station bench uh, when she was traveling. She was going to meet her then beau, Morgan. Alex goes to the station. She's like, huh, there's the book, found it. But he can't get to her in time, but he sees her, which is weird. But you're like, okay, got it. There's a connection now. He does not place it in the mailbox. And I thought that up top, maybe you couldn't place a book in the mailbox, but that's thrown out the window about, you know, about 30 minutes later. He's like, I'll return it to you. I'll return it to you personally, is, is what he says. It's like, okay, cool, cool, cool. Uh, actually throwing out the window right now. He, he actually is like, I have an idea. Let's walk through Chicago together. He sends her a map of Chicago with all these points circled. He's like, let's take a stroll here. Let's, see, let's go on a walking tour together. And uh, at the end of the tour, we hear the, a lot of the movies conveyed through voiceover, like them talking to each other with voiceover, which is an interesting way to approach it. She's like, I wish we had done this walk together. She turns to her right. There's a beautiful... <laughs> Keanu's character Alex has, has committed a felony, not a felony, a misdemeanor crime by spray painting a wall. He's like, Kate, I'm here with you. Thanks for spending Saturday with me. That's it's cool. I liked it. I thought that was really nice. And her face said a lot in that moment. She looks over. It's like, ah, oh, okay. Like it. Completely implausible that that, that that wouldn't have been spray painted over in the intervening two years, but it's very, very lovely. Yeah. yeah. What, was... what graffiti lasts two years so that the city coming by and painting over it and then someone graffitiing over that and right. then like four layers of paint later. Right. It was, it was very special. But it was sweet. Yeah. We're in 2004 and <clears throat> Alex's dog, Jack, just runs off like in a, in a frenzy, runs off, right? There was this, I'm not going to get into the Mona side plot. That was, that was not necessarily, it was, it was garbage. I'm not going to talk about that. The yeah. dog runs off, leads Alex to a house where Morgan and Kate are currently living as a couple, right? I don't believe they were married uh, or on, they were on the way to being married, I think. <clears throat> Alex talks with Morgan, helps him out with some boxes, and eventually is invited to the birthday party Morgan is holding for Kate that evening. It's a very fast friendship, in my opinion, but that's, you know, I have no problem with that. <laughs> Like, hey, you help. Like, maybe you do. That seems like a judgment call. I don't know. It's like he helped him carry some boxes of beer, and he's like, you know what? You seem like an okay guy. Why don't you come to this party? I think it's more like, like to me, it seems like Morgan's character is the kind of guy who wants to show off his success and wealth to anybody who happens to be passing by. Oh, that might be it. And yeah, he happens to be passing by. So yeah, there was also the off chance that he. Okay, yeah. All right, I'm. I'm. I'll buy it. I'll buy that. So good call. So uh, he, they, they, they show up. Uh, I'm just going to say Alex. Alex shows up. During the party, though, uh, Alex and Kate find themselves like sitting outside. They're like loners. The, the, those people at the party are like, I'm going to go out for some air and just sit out here and think. Alex and Kate eventually, um, through a series of like conversations and connections and things like that, uh, they end up dancing together. And they share a very romantic kiss that perhaps went on a little too long for Whitney. <laughs> And uh, yeah, doesn't know how to kiss. I don't know what to say to you. Uh, this kiss is broken up by Morgan, who uh, looks like there was going to be some talking happening after that. The look on his face. Yes. He's yeah. Not pleased. Not happy with what's going on. But we already know from a previous conversation he has with her in the future that this kiss is like 
has been like a sticking point in their relationship ever since. Yes, he's a random guy. You're like, oh, it's all coming together now. Got it. So uh, we have a crisis in Alex's life. He finds out his estranged father, played by Christopher Plummer, really, really excellent role, a lot, lot of really cool dynamics. He ha has a, a minor heart attack. Um, he's hospitalized, seems okay, right? And there's a little, they kind of speed through this point, but he very like unexpectedly ends up dying, right? Probably during this procedure to, I don't know, put a stent in or whatever. In the future, Kate looks at his father's medical records and discovers like when that happened. And it was like, oh shit, oh, it's like today. So she rushes to the mailbox and gives him a gift. It's the form of this memoir that his father was putting together. And uh, this was some really, really great acting from Keanu. He looks, there's a picture of the lake house and his, it's his dad and a young, very young him with his hand on his back. And he's like, oh, he loves me, right? You know, despite all the weird relationship stuff, he loved me overall. I really, really like that. Mm -hmm. So he's like, all right. And then he like breaks down and has like a nice cry over it, which is very, it's very, it's very poignant. Yeah. I'd like that. And the... it's just nice to see a dude crying in right. any like pop culture. Yeah. And also I think have emotions, he... fellas. <laughs> and because it's Keanu, like, you know, that he has like issues with his own dad and you can mm -hmm. see him like, you can see him really feeling this role and really feeling the conflict that his character has. And, and it just seems very, very real. Yeah. The story of Keanu Reeves certainly factors into some of these, the roles that he takes. It's, it's really, really cool. This, that, that really worked for me, that, that whole thing, because the camera just held on him at his desk for a bit. Really nice. So at this point, Alex is like, look, I'm gonna, we're going to figure this out. We're going to bridge this time gap. we got to figure out a way to meet. So they're like, here's what I'm going to do. Name a restaurant. And Kate says, uh, it's Il Mare, right? I believe. Uh, and he's like, I think it's Il Mare. Il, Il Mare. Mare. Okay. Because I think it's like a connected to the sea. Got it. Okay. So, set because, a because that's also the, the name of the movie, of the movie that this is based on, the Korean movie. Got it. All right. I did not so even know. I think know maybe that that like was... it was the sea house at some point. I'm not sure, but like that's sort of my assumption. Okay. Well, that's kind of a cool uh, little uh, nod. I did not even know this was based off of a thing. So very cool. See? Yeah, it's based off a South Korean movie that I have not seen and know nothing about. But I, like, <laughs> my assumption just from the fact that that uh, that this restaurant is named Il Mare is that it had probably was a, was a sea house instead of a lake house. And that's why the movie is that, has that name. But I could be wrong. Got so it. don't at me, people, please. Thank you. <laughs> I know I don't know Korean or, or Italian, so it's completely making this shit up. So. At only congratulations for winning pop quiz only. That is it. <laughs> yes. Uh, so essentially what they decide on is like set a date and Kate's like, how about tomorrow? So in the past, Alex sets a reservation for, was it two years? And it was like two years and one day from now, which was pretty funny. The, the Mater D is like, uh, okay, okay. All right, cool. Um, the problem is Kate shows up, looks great, gets complimentary wine this is a really nice restaurant. There's people ice skating outside. Perhaps perhaps too well, these people figure skating outside. A little weird, but hey, again, <laughs> I'll, let, I'll let it slide. Uh, Alex doesn't show up. He stands her up. He has the audacity to not show up, right? The next day, Kate writes him. It's like, look, man, 
You didn't show up. He just says, something must have happened. Kate, also, can I just say, like, the, yeah. the restaurant people have clearly been waiting two years to figure out, like, who this dude is. That's like, <laughs> like, what the story is behind this relationship. Yeah. And they are, they're, they're so thwarted. They're so thwarted. And I just always think about, like, how much, how much, how they must have felt to have been waiting for this reservation to be filled for two years. Finally, then, the two year reservation that's coming <laughs> in happening. And then right. nothing. And yeah. then she stood up. What a like, bummer. You know, one of those waiters went home last, like that night, and he was just like, "Life is just disappointment." Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's unbelievable, unbelievable. Weiler never showed up. This clown. Right, that right. guy I've been telling you about over cocktails <laughs> for the last two years. Right. What an asshole he turned out to be. Remember, we talked about him on our first date. Well, guess what? True love doesn't exist. All right, it's fine. <laughs> I'm breaking up with you. <laughs> If it's not working out for Weiler, it's not working out for anybody. I was holding on. I thought maybe if he shows up, this relationship will work out and I should give it another chance. <laughs> it's terrible. It's terrible. This is the sequel that has yet to be. It's greenlit for 2021. <laughs> that absolutely happened. Absolutely. Uh, well, as, so um, based on being stood up in this weird time difference that they're both perceiving, Kate decides like, you know, if I just keep waiting, I'm never going to be happy, right? And it, it references back to the novel, right? The Jane Austen novel, Persuasion. You know, she, she tells Alex, move on, right? Uh, and then references Valentine's Day 2006 when a man died in her arms, right? And that she needs to live her own life because it could be over tomorrow. She I just tells, want to make it clear that did not happen in Persuasion. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, just the wait. Yeah. I think that well, when she was describing it, it's like, it's about waiting. And, the, you right. know, that whole thing is like, oh, it's, that yeah. sounds when, terrible. When he's like, it sounds terrible. Like, like it kind of, it, it's excruciating. It's like painful agony, but also nobody dies. Right. Nobody's like, and the, the whole thing is like, he comes back and in Persuasion, the dude comes back and he's like, you know how you were kind of a shitty, like you, you kind of dumped me in a sh really shitty way. You sort of ghosted me all those like, <laughs> what, 12 years ago? Well, yeah. now I'm back and you just have to live with me flirting with all these other girls who aren't you. So there, fuck <laughs> off. Except, <laughs> and she's like, okay, I'm just going to be like alone in my misery as I'm pulled into your social circle all over again. Except then he like still can't stay away from her because he's still like somewhere in love with her. And so they have this like very excruciating, like, like slowly developed, like, like basically like the whole plot revolves around other people, like being in their social circle and having all these shenanigans while they're just sort of like slowly circling around each other the entire time, almost never interacting. And then at the end, he writes her this very, very, very famous love letter. That's like, okay, I tried not to love you again, but this whole time I've been falling madly in love with you all over again, and now I love you more than ever because I see that you're just as wonderful as you always were. And that's basically it. That's the novel. They get together and live happily ever after. But it's, like, very, very excruciating. And it's real. It's literally, like, years. So. All right. Well, then, <laughs> then it, it all makes sense, <laughs> given the context we're in. Yeah. Um, so at this point... Al she asks, Kate asks Alex, like, don't, don't contact me again. I'm not going to answer these, these, these letters. And there is like an, every time it seems like he goes maybe daily, maybe, I don't know, once a week to put another letter into the mailbox and they are not being removed. So you kind of see this, this pile of letters stacking up and sh she does not retrieve them. So 
Uh, he's left pretty brokenhearted, and he decides to just leave the lake house. And then he places the box of letters in the attic, right? And that's what Kate referred to back in her first letter to him. So, okay, time is a flat circle. Alex uh, visits Morgan and hands him the keys to the lake house, right? And he's like, do you still want to rent the lake house? This is what Kate would want, right? And then he also, and this, is, this was weird to me, he just leaves the dog, like now that and then it becomes Kate's dog. So the whole story of how she got this dog, very weird. I think he's probably figured out that it's a magical dog by now. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like what the Yeah, the dog's always trying to like lead him places. Like I when I run off it, it, like, out of nowhere, you should follow me. I'm a magic dog. And he eventually yeah. does not follow the magic dog. So <laughs> Yeah. Um while it's not made, in my opinion, explicitly clear. At this point in the film, uh, there's like a kind of a short montage and a year elapses here. So we're led to believe that like he left the lake house, she moved in. There's this, this a year has happened, right? So we see uh, Kate and Morgan are living together in the Chicago apartment. Um, and this was a weird, a weird impetus. But uh, he's like, could you turn down the TV? It's a little loud. And she's like, Phew. she turns it off and goes into the bedroom a little just flustered with him and uh, steps on a squeaky floorboard. Right. And like all of us would do, she lifts up the carpet and begins stomping on it furiously <laughs> to try to fix it. Right. We're, we've all been there. Uh, but the board pops up. Uh, she's like, oh, what's uh, it's treasure goes in. As we all know it's copy of persuasion. It was placed <laughs> under the floorboard. Oh, well done, sir. Well done. I think there was a, a flower pressed into it, and I'm assuming it was mm -hmm. the on the um, passage that she quoted. I don't know that for sure, but I was like, I could imagine that that was when the, in their earlier conversation. So she realizes at this point, she's like, I still love this guy, right? But she does not contact him in any way. Okay, coming to the end here. Valentine's Day 2008, Kate and Morgan go to Visionary Vanguard Associates, a name we heard floated out there earlier between Alex and his brother. It's an up-and-coming architecture's office, uh, architect's office, right? They talk about renovations to a new house that they're going to buy, uh, and they don't realize that it's run by Alex's brother, Henry, until Kate sees the drawing of the lake house on the wall and asks who did it. Henry says it was his brother, Alex, but tells her that he died two years ago today. Weird. Kate realizes something sprints to her car, races to the mailbox, places a letter inside, and then falls to her knees crying. Alex was the man that died, as Whitney <laughs> said, right? Uh, and, and you probably figured out at some point much earlier in the film, Alex was the guy that died in her arms two years previously, the bus accident and stuff like that. In 2006, back a little bit, Alex watches Kate uh, have lunch with her mother, and this is the exact same scene we saw earlier in the movie. We're like, oh, man, did he get the letter? He starts to step off the curb, and I'm like, shit, he didn't get the letter. But then he stops, and he does not get hit by a bus, and he smiles, and he walks away. I'm like, everything is right in the world, but also the timeline has been drastically altered. Yep. And also, you never find out, like, what would have, like, had the, like, in the original timeline, what drew him there on that specific day. <laughs> Right. Like, why was he there at that specific day at that specific moment when he had moved on right like what had changed to bring him back to her right then and there you know it's... unless he just like happened to be in that spot 
which it never is it's never explained. So <laughs> no, it, it it actually appears that he goes out of his way. Like I don't know Chicago, I've never been, but it looks like a totally different part of town from where he just was with his brother too. Like right, larger right. skyscraper type. I, I digress. Timelines, time travel, weird. In 2008, the mailbox flag squeakily drops down, right? And Kate, she's still there sobbing, right? It's We see a whole scene take place. Meanwhile, she's been there for just a few moments. He, she, you know, she opens it. It's like, all right, we don't, I don't think we ever see what's on the letter. But like just a moment later, Alex's truck pulls up to the house. He steps out smiling. They share their second very passionate embrace and a kiss. And after several minutes, they just walk into the lake house where they will presumably live. There are no toilets in there. Roll credits. <laughs> we do hear her say part of the letter. Like, she basically says, like, don't go to Dealey Plaza. If you love me, wait for me. Like, just wait. And um, she, yeah, she says, I'm ready for you now. So just wait for me and come to the lake house. Right. Yeah, basically, don't get killed. Come to me <laughs> right. here. Don't be an yeah. idiot. I'm finally ready to say I love you. Right. It, it took me this long to say it, so wait for me for two years. And so, and then he's, he does, and then he shows up right there. I think the one thing that I, I wanted to say about this movie earlier that I didn't get a chance to say is that I've been watching this uh, film that I, or sorry, this series called Untamed that I've been freaking out on, like that I, that I told you about when we did yeah. the Constantine episode. And this, this series is very, very heavy on like its main characters and their epic soulmate love. And it's very, very... Um, it emphasizes over and over again that they like consciously choose to basically like have unerring faith and trust and devotion in the other one. And then the fact that the other one loves them, like, and I think that that's sort of the power of a movie like this, where the, the general conceit is that you have to trust the other person enough to, to believe that they'll wait for you and believe that they have chosen you to the, like, the the utmost extent that you've chosen them. Mm-hmm. I think this I think this movie pulls that off pretty powerfully. Nice. That's all. Yeah, I, I think so too. Yeah, I I really I really enjoy it. It was it it worked surprisingly well for me. So, not you know having very little expectations going in. I was like, all right, all right. Excited to rate it. So I guess uh, I think I probably know where we all stand. But is it safe to say that we all recommend this film? Asia, if someone's looking for uh, a rom- uh, a romance film, you know, even subtracting the fact that Keanu Reeves is in it, would would you send them to the lake house? Yeah, I would say to like if you are expecting a typical Keanu Reeves movie, this isn't it. Right. I think it's 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 a little unique even among um, romance genre films. Like it's it's just sort of a quirky little uh, category of its own. I think people like it. Yeah. I certainly enjoyed it. I definitely, uh, I definitely recommend it. So that's really good. All right. Uh, now comes an interesting. Here comes an interesting thing, Whitney. I would love to know where you rank this, but also, Asia. I have. I'm now going to start. You know, assuming that you're going to be a more regular uh, guest for us, I'm going to start keeping track of your films as well. And I have oh, them no. right. He- okay. I have them right here. And feel free to reorganize or do whatever you want. But based on your watcher episode i have my own private idaho john wick the lake house and then i just assumed constantine would slot in at spot number four 
Yeah, I, I would put uh, I would probably put Constantine ahead of the Lake House, but oh, um, okay. But I don't. I thought I couldn't remember whether I listed Constantine in my my last go around. Um, but if we're, I mean, if we're doing much, ado, if we're doing like all Keanu films films ever, sure. Much Ado About Nothing has to be up there because that's honestly one of my favorite films ever. Because I, it's one of those films that I watched in like when I was a teen at coming of age at like a has has sentimental value to me. Um, and have just had at one point was just watching constantly all the time. So <laughs> nice. Um, Same. So that's definitely one of my like teenage like uh like one of the films that I imprinted on as a as a kid. Um so that should be in there somewhere uh, right. if we're doing that. I'll yeah. a- I'll add it. I'll send you what I have and then you can organize and maybe on our whenever the next time you swing by, we'll run down and be like, All right, where does have where does it fit? Have you been ranking them all as you see them? Like, so should I give you like a list only of what I've done here or? Yeah. So we don't. Yeah. Currently, I mean, our top films across the board is The Matrix, just simply because and spoilers, just because we haven't gotten to John Wick. (laughs) Yeah, of course, of course. (laughs) So and then uh, I have a pretty decent idea of what the top one through three might be for a lot of of Mm -hmm. us. But hey, I don't know. Um, But yeah, so. We, we could sort that out. I just want to, I would love to track uh, your journey through this as well. So that would be okay. fun. Okay, sure. Uh, Whitney, where are you going to put the lake house in terms of your list? I'm curious. I put it at number 14 between the gift and chain reaction. Wow. Okay. All right. The gift and chain reaction. Okay. I don't remember chain reaction at all, but I would definitely say it, it seems like a movie that would fit around the gift. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that feels right. That feels right. Uh, I'm going to put mine. This is going to beat. Uh, I'm going to put it at my number 17 spot, I think. I'm going to. For me, that would be between a walk in the clouds. Actually, sorry. It's going to be between a scanner darkly and a walk in the. Cl- no, you know what? I would not rewatch a scanner. It's going to be at my number 16 spot. I'm, I have to do this correctly. So I got to really think about it. I have no intention of ever revisiting a scanner darkly, uh, despite like feeling pretty positive about it. So I'm going to put it at my number 16 spot. Lake house done. All right. Nice. So that brings us to the end here. Uh, Mm -hmm. Next week is fun. Whitney is going to be walking us through street Kings. Which is a movie that I have not seen. So, have you seen I this? I literally movie? have zero idea what this movie is about. <laughs> Asia, have you seen this? Street Kings? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think I've ever heard of it. I can't imagine <laughs> even like a poster art. I don't think I ever even knew it existed until today. Yes. And then I was looking at no. what was next, and I'm like, oh, I guess I'm going to watch. Street Kings, whatever that is. So I could not be going in more blank more of a slate blank. than I am. So I, I'll say this. Um, I prep uh, just so like cast, director, that sort of thing. David Ayer is the director, right? L- just listen to this cast, nice. all right? Keanu Reeves, Forrest Whitaker, Hugh Laurie, Chris Evans, Cedric the Entertainer, Jay Moore, Terry Crews, Naomi Harris, Common. What the? And it goes on. It's crazy. That none of us have heard of this film <laughs> with this cast. Yeah, that is kind of nuts. Right. I don't want to get too far into it. I mean, it. that that doesn't necessarily that that sounds sort of foreboding. 
Oh, too you know? much, too much of a good thing. Maybe is that what you're thinking? Well, if the cast is this well known, but the movie is something none of us have ever heard of, that doesn't yeah. necessarily say good things about the movie. But it we'll see, I guess. Right. It could uh, could surprise all of us. We have we have no idea, <laughs> but pretty fun, pretty fun. All right, that brings us to the end. Uh, I would love uh, for Asia, please tell people where they could follow you, find you, do all that kind of interaction on the internet. Indeed. I am a culture reporter for Vox, so you can read me at Vox. You can also follow me on Twitter at Asia Romano, A-J-A-R-O-M-A-N-O, uh, where you will probably see links to my Vox articles and a lot of babble about other things. So, yep, that's me. It's fun. It's fun, everybody. Please follow. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Whitney, where can people find you on the Internet? Uh, I am at Whitney underscore Nelson, N-E-L-S-E-N on Twitter. And through that, you can find my podcast, Historical Hotties. And you can find um, Almost Better Than Silence, which is a video games podcast that I'm on and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, follow me there. Awesome. And if you want to hear who the hottest dead martyr in history is, (laughs) check out the most recent episode of Historical Hotties. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. It's been downloaded as such, so... Uh, you can find me on the internet at Dark Driving. Twitter and Instagram are probably the best two places, but uh, you can also catch me over on YouTube teaching some video editing techniques at the Primary Storyline. Just give a subscribe there. I do a lot of live stuff, so while it looks like the last video I posted was like a year or two ago, uh, I more recently just do the live thing. I find that to be a lot more engaging. So uh, check that out there. So I'm going to press this button, hope for the best. There it is. Thank you all for joining us. And in the words of Bill S. Preston and Ted Theodore Logan, be excellent to each other and party on, dudes. Mm